tonight I will bring to you a Bible study from the book of Romans in chapter number 16. Keep it open, please, while we will read a first couple of verses for our text. But we'll refer to all of the chapter tonight. I love to be an expositional preacher, and so tonight we will look at a lot of Bible passages. And I want to talk to you tonight on the subject of how to fall in love with your church. Now, not only do you love Pastor Wilkerson, but do you love First Baptist Church in Hammond? How many of you love your church? Amen? How many of you have been in a different church prior to this one, and you were in love with that church as well, and God ministered to your heart there? But aren't you glad that God's brought you here in this time and at this era? God has brought me through many churches. My daddy was a pastor and a pastor for over 40 years, and so he was my preacher for so many of those years. And obviously, as a child, uh, when dad was in Bible college, Jerry Falwell got to be my pastor for a period of time. And then Brother Hiles got to be my pastor for about four of the years that I was here at Hiles Anderson. And then, of course, we've been in ministry, and other men have been my pastor. But I love the church, and I love the concept of the local church. And then I want to help you how to fall in love with your church tonight, all right? So let's begin our reading this evening, chapter number 16 of the book of Romans. And allow me to read verses 1 through 4, please, as our text. And Paul says, I commend unto you, Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the, talk to me, the church which is in Centrea, that, that, that you receive her in the Lord as becometh saints, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you. For she hath been a succorer of many, and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the, next word please, the churches of the Gentiles. Let's pray. Father, we surely thank you tonight for church on Wednesday evening. I pray that you bless now the reading and the study of your word. Thank you for this passage. Thank you for the book of Romans, Lord, that allows us to know that Paul had a great, great relationship with so many of the church members in this church in Rome. And Lord, as we kind of dig out and mine out some of the great truths tonight, may it help us to fall in love with our church. Lord, I pray for my people, even back in West Virginia this evening. And Lord, I pray that uh, they likewise will have a pastor who loves them. Thank you for the love of Jesus that we can share one with another. Help it to be sweet tonight, I pray. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love church. I said that a moment ago. I love the concept of church. I love what church has done in my own personal life. I remember how many decisions that I have made in an old-fashioned altar in an independent fundamental Baptist church. I remember how many times God's used a Sunday school teacher, maybe a youth pastor, uh, my own dad as a pastor, or some other uh, Bible conference speaker. How many times in church has your life been changed? You know, I remember often in chapel, they would say, now I'm going to preach a life-changing sermon. I remember one guy got up and said, I've heard so many life-changing sermons, I don't even know how, who I am anymore. Amen. But you know, God uses the church to get our attention. God uses the church to develop fellowship in our own lives. God gives us the church so that we can learn to serve him and to be active in the body of Christ. And so tonight I want to kind of use Romans 16 and this model of the church in Rome. And particularly, I want to speak a little bit about the Apostle Paul's relationship to these people in this local church. Now let me just stop and say the Apostle Paul was a great lover of church also, or of God's house. You remember that under inspiration in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15, that Paul said that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. 
All throughout the epistles, we'll find the Apostle Paul was talking about the church and instructing the church and ordaining elders in the church. I recently preached a message from the book of Titus. And we saw that Titus was left in the island nation of Crete. And he said, I want you to ordain elders in every church. Hey, the church must have been important to the Apostle Paul. We find as he traveled all throughout Asia Minor, and he was in cities like Ephesus and Philippi and Thessalonica and Galatia and even Rome in our text this evening. And obviously there were places that he spent a little longer in some cities and maybe not as long in some other cities. But everywhere he went, he went preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And everywhere he went, he went gathering believers together. And everywhere he went, he went establishing churches. I'm right now speaking in my own Wednesday night Bible study through the book of Acts. I think we're 25 Wednesday night Bible studies into the book of Acts. Oh, I love the book of Acts. What a great story of the churches of Asia Minor and the, uh, the missionary uh, journeys of the Apostle Paul. I say all of that to say Paul loved the church, but the church is just not a building. The church is not just a location. The church is not just a city. Listen to me. The church is made up of believers. Amen. And so tonight, yes, we are in a beautiful sanctuary tonight, but this sanctuary is only housing the church. You're the church. I'm the church. We get to be together in the house of God. And so tonight I want to talk about that not only did Paul love the church, he loved the people of the church. He not only loved God's house, but he also loved God's people. And one of the things that I began to find as I was laying out Romans 16 for this message were all of the individual personal relationships that were mentioned in Romans chapter 16. You're going to find that there are 35 individual names. Now, we're not going to study all 35 of them, amen? All right, we'll be kind with the time tonight. But I do want you to see that in this passage, he's wrapping up this wonderful epistle to the church in Rome, and he begins to think about how he loves these people. He talks about people named Phoebe. We saw that in verse number 1. Priscilla and Aquila, Mary and Andronicus and Tryphona and uh, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Aren't you glad that we can be named Bill and George and James and Jose? Amen. And, and even Rufus is found. Look at verse number nine. I think one of my long lost ancestors there, Urbane, was there. Amen. I don't know how I lost the U-R on my name all along the way. But, but my point is, is that Paul knew these people individually. How many of you know something that your preacher loves you and loves you individually. How many know that Jesus loves you and Jesus loves you individually? Amen. Doesn't the Bible say that he knows your name? He knows so much about you. He knows all the hairs on your head. Now that's getting harder for me. I keep losing so many. Amen. And uh, God's, I'm giving, keeping God on his toes. All right. As it were, my point is God knows me and he loves me. And don't you believe that the people of God ought to learn to love each other? And don't you believe that in the model here that Paul, kind of as the man of God and, and as the, the, the preacher here, that he's showing that these are personal relationships that I have developed over these years. Maybe I was away from the city of Rome, but now I'm riding back to this city and I'm thinking about these wonderful people that I had relationships with and that I love so very much. He not only mentioned names, but watch, but he also listed their descriptions. He began to think about what they were and who they were and what they did. For instance, the Bible says in Romans 16 that they were called servants. They were called uh, saints. They were called fellow helpers. They were called first fruits. 
You see, there was something obviously that Paul had done in those times of being with the church members and spending time with those members that he said, here's what I think about when I think about that name. When I think about Phoebe, verse 1, she is a servant of the church. Let me ask you a question. What would your pastor say is the description of you as a church member? Better than that, what would God say? Amen. It's Jesus' church. What would he say when he thinks about you? Are you a faithful church member? Are you a Bible-believing church member? Are you a serving church member? And Paul said, as I'm thinking about these folks, these descriptions about who they are and what they do come right to the top. There were greetings and salutations and personal relationships that had been developed. There were words of affection. For instance, the Bible says that he called them well-beloved kinsmen. My beloved in the Lord. He even says that he treats them as brothers and sisters in Christ. How many of you are glad that you have a brother or sister in Christ somewhere in this room tonight? Amen? And that we're all a part of the body of Christ. Hey, listen, I'm not a part of First Baptist Church. I go to Shenandoah Bible Baptist Church. But I'm your brother and sister if you know Christ as your Savior. Hey, we're blood kin, my friend. We are brought by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So whether you like it or not, I'm in your family. Amen? We ought to, better, we ought to learn to get along with each other here because we're going to have to live with each other for eternity. Amen? Because we're a part of the family of God. My point here is, and I want to show you in Romans 16, is how this actually happened. What was the process by which Paul and these very special people had such a sweet relationship that in the inspired scriptures, we have recorded for us these names and these personal relationships of the people of the church in Rome. Paul had expressed a deep affection for the individuals in this church and it's preserved in inspired scripture for us to learn from. So if you're a note taker tonight, you might want to write a few things down. I only have 37 uh, points and each of those have 14 sub points underneath. So no, I have five things that I'd like to give to you tonight. They all start with the letter V. And so if you'd like to take a note to maybe remember the message tonight, I'd like to help you to do so. How did Paul fall in love with this church? What were the, what were the things that went into that? Can I show you the first one? Number one, and I think we find this throughout the text, but particularly in verse number one, where he calls Phoebe his sister. Number one, he viewed them as family. He viewed the people in the church of Rome as family. Now, I just mentioned it a moment ago. Obviously, when we're bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, we are entered in, adopted into his family. Someone say amen right there. I love the song, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in that fountain, cleansed by his blood. Do you know it? Join heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod. For I'm part of the family, the family of Hey, you know, that may help you with a church member that you're having a difficulty with if you'll realize they're part of your spiritual family. He viewed them as a sister. Notice in verse 7, he calls them his kinsmen. Notice in verse 13, please. I love this statement. He says, salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Now watch the next statement. And his mother, and what's the next two words? Now, wait a minute, look this way. You know what I think he was saying there? 
I don't think he's talking about his physical mother there. He said, look, when I think about Rufus, I remember maybe the times that Rufus and I had some time together and his mother, man, she invited us over for some, corn, from, uh, for some uh, uh, beans and cornbread. Amen. That's some good Southern cooking right there. Uh, maybe I had some personal time and he said, I remember Rufus's mother and the time that we had, but she wasn't just his mother. She treated me like she was my mother. Have you ever had someone in the church that's treated you like family? They weren't really your family, not blood family, but a blood-bought family. And because of that, we have a special relationship with each other. Greet Rufus's mother and mine. She was like a mother to me. I want to share something very, very personal. I've been, a past, I've been pastoring churches for 25 years now. I've been in the ministry for 30 years. But just uh, about eight years ago, about this time of the year, God was working on my heart to actually bring me to my present church. Shenandoah Bible Baptist Church in Martinsburg, West Virginia. I'd been in Delaware, Ohio for 18 years. God had given us a very fruitful ministry there. We'd watched that church grow from just a very small uh, core of people, and we'd built buildings, and we had a wonderful time together. And for whatever reason, God began to move in my heart that this opportunity was something that he was going to move me to. To be very quite honest, I came to a very broken church, a very hurting church, I saw a lot of people who had left. Uh, there were a lot of people who had stayed and had family that had left and friends of a lifetime that had left and folks they worked with and co-laborers. And it was a very broken, broken church. To be very quite honest, as I became their pastor in 2013, January of 2013, I began to feel a little bit sorry for myself, Pastor Wilkerson. I would left a place of 18 years where I was very, very involved and very intricately woven into the fabric of that church. I loved those people. I'd been there 18 years, long enough to marry and bury. I'd been there long enough to watch children come to our Christian school in kindergarten and graduate uh, with a diploma from our Christian school. I, I thought I would be there for life. I had life relationships there, heart relationships there. And God brought me to a new place. God brought me to a place that needed a pastor, maybe with a broken heart. And so soon after my coming, we changed the motto of our church to a place to call home. You know, I wanted everybody that came to Shenandoah Bible Baptist Church to feel at home. Whether they had been there for decades or whether they had come in just on Sunday on the bus route, I wanted everybody to feel at home there. And I'm just saying that I'm sharing my little personal testimony there that now after eight years and Probably Brother Wilkerson could say the same because he had a very similar situation. And now that he has come, there's no doubt in my mind, and there's no doubt in your mind, he's planted his heart here with you, has he not? And you feel like family with him, do you not? The family of God. And that, isn't that the way it should be? Amen? I'm just trying to say the people of God are awesome, are they not? And when you realize that God has brought you to a place and he has taken your heart and interwoven it with the hearts of someone else, and then he says, now I'm going to put you in the local church and here's a purpose and a reason for doing so. I want to say to you that you would fall more in love with your church if you treated it as your family. If you realized that they are brothers and sisters in Christ. Can I give you the second thing? Number two, why did Paul fall in love with the church in Rome? Number one, he viewed them as family, but number two, he valued their service. He valued their service. Look with me, please, at verse number one of our text this evening. Now, we've already mentioned Phoebe, and the Bible says that she was called a sister, but the Bible says that she was a servant. Do you also see that? A servant of the church. 
He says in verse number 6, as he talks about a lady named Mary, would you put your eyes on verse 6, greet Mary, who bestowed much, what on us? Labor on us. Uh, Would you look at verse number 12, for instance? He says, salute Tryphena and Tryphosa, who do what? Who labor in the Lord. Salute the beloved Persis, which what? Labored much in the Lord. Watch this. Paul was writing back and he was reminding them of their labor in the Lord together. Co-labors together. Hey, you will fall in love with the church that you attend and the people that attend that church with you if you'll get in the same yoke with them. If you will value the service and their service and your service together in the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, praise God for the workforce of the local church. Amen. Thank God for bus workers. Thank God for nursery workers. Amen. I remember Brother Hiles always used to say when he would preach in conferences, praise God, thank God for the nursery workers. Amen. He'd say something like, if they let that crowd in on us, we would think that the the third plague of the tribulation period had been opened up, you know. Thank God for those watching babies tonight. Thank God for Sunday school teachers. Thank God for custodians. Someone say amen right there. Even in COVID, amen. Thank God for custodians. Thank God for the labor and the workforce. Thank God for the choir members that sing and the special music that performs and the pianist and the the orchestra. Hey, thank God for those who serve Jesus in the local church. Now, wait a minute. And Paul said, and I value that. I remember that. He said, I remember when I think about Phoebe, I think about she was a servant. When I think about Mary, I think about the labor that she bestowed upon us. Hey, let me say this. Let's be very careful that we are remembering those that serve us and and that are so kind to us. I think as pastors, Brother Wilkerson, uh, we get treated so well, do we not? Uh, And the position of pastor, and I get all of that, but sometimes we just need to make sure that we are are thankful for the opportunity that we get to serve you and that we get to serve Jesus Christ. I'm going to say it in just a minute, that we get to do it together. He says, I value your service. How often in local churches maybe, and it should not ever be this way, but that we kind of drive the sheep and we kind of use them to build the bus routes and to build the church for our kingdom. It certainly should not be viewed that way. It's God's kingdom. We're just fellow servants and workers, amen, in the field. He said, I value your service. Can I, can I give you a great thought tonight? Some of you, it's Wednesday night, you're tired, right? You, you've worked all day, but you've come to church on a, on a Wednesday evening. You're going to run a bus, or you're going to teach a class. You're going to do something this weekend. You're going to be a soul winner. You're going you're gonna to labor and effort. Can I remind you that Hebrews 6.10 says that God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. Hey, hey, if if you don't get an accolade, if you don't get a pat on the back and you don't get something, uh, a recognition, may I remind you, Jesus Christ is the best record keeper there is. You're not doing it for man anyway, you're doing it for God. But Paul said, I value your service. Thank you for serving. Can I not just say please to the great workforce of First Baptist Church in Hammond, thank you for serving the Lord over these decades. Hey, thank you for what you've done over the years to keep Hiles Anderson College open and to put preacher boys all over this world and all over this globe. There were sacrifices made of this workforce and the servants of First Baptist Church over all of these decades. Thank God for it. Thank God for keeping the Christian school open. I got to go preach at City Baptist today. 
Thank God for running your buses. Boy, that was a, that was a motley-looking crew there. I tell you, I, I, I was just teasing them. That was a wonderful group of teenagers I got to preach to today. It was because a lot of you run buses and reach those kids up in Chicago. We value your service. Thank you for serving Jesus. Don't forget the goal of the work is not to build man's empire, but rather to build God's kingdom. The third thing I want to say is this. Paul fell in love with this church, not only because he viewed them as family, he valued their service. Number three, he had a vision of co-laboring together. He had a vision of co-laboring together. Now, we've talked first about the serving that Phoebe has done and Mary has done and the labor of some of these in the local church there. Can I show you now how Paul felt about that? Look in verse 3. The Bible says in verse number 3, he says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila. Now watch the next phrase, my helpers. My helpers. Now wait a minute, in one place he talks about Phoebe being a servant, and she may have done that alone. Here he says, I was busy doing the work, and I had someone that came along beside me and helped me. Look, you don't need a helper unless you're already doing something first, right? The work is too large, so you need a helper. Uh, The church got too big, so you hire an assistant pastor. The point is that he said, I want you to know we were co-laborers together. We were helpers in this work of God. Notice what he says in verse 21. I love it. Again, just trying to show you the context here. In verse 21, he says, Timotheus, my work fellow, my my, my, uh, helper in Christ, my fellow worker in Christ. He said, I want you to know that this vision I have of people working together. Brother Wilkerson, I was studying for a sermon a few years ago, and this passage really jumped out at me in Philippians 1 and verse number 1. I don't want you to turn there for the sake of time. But it's the only time that I could find in the New Testament where in one phrase it talked about the bishops and the deacons. Bishops and deacons. Of course, the bishops are the pastors. You know, for whatever reason, in fundamental churches, it just kind of seems like that there's this uh, uh, context that often in churches where the preacher doesn't get along with the deacons, and the deacons don't like the preacher, and there's always this butting of heads. And I love that Philippians, and boy, Philippians was a great church, and they did an awful lot for the kingdom of God. You know why? Maybe they got this thing of working together figured out, the bishops and the deacons. Can I just speak to the deacons of First Baptist Church in Hammond? Of course, I do not know you, and I don't know which men are deacons and which aren't. But can I just say to you, please partner together with your pastor and let him be the shepherd and the leader that God has brought here. And the deacons just say, we're fellow helpers. We're working together with you. We too, preacher, have a vision of co-laboring. Amen. You're not doing this alone. He's not doing this alone. I'm so glad that when I go back to my church, it's not just me trying to build Shenandoah Bible Baptist Church because I cannot do that. I need some help in the kingdom of God and reaching people. So there was a vision of great laboring together, co-laboring together. I mentioned Philippians just a moment ago. Philippians 1.27, I love this phrase, and Brother Chapel, your, your good friend as well, mentions this often. He calls it striving together. Would you say that phrase with me? Striving together, not striving against. That's what a lot of churches do. A lot of churches have issues and problems and this committee's against this committee and this deacon can't stand this deacon and this assistant pastor has his own agenda and this guy. Hey, what could we do if we had some unity in the local church? Working together. He said, here's my vision. My vision is that we work together for the cause, the same cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Can I give you, please, number four? We said that he viewed them as family, he valued their service, he had a vision of co-laboring. Number three, or four, there was a virtue of support one for another. There was the virtue of support one for another. I, I, I get that from verse number two, and I love this old English King James word. Don't you love the old King James Bible? Can I just say we don't need a new version? If there's a word you don't understand, look it up in the Webster's 1828 Dictionary. Amen. There's some wonderful old words that you're going to find that, that teach us some great, great principles. Look at verse number two. And the Bible here is continuing to talk about Phoebe. It says that ye receive her in the Lord as becometh saints, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you. Now watch the next statement. For she hath been a succorer. That's an old English word. A succorer of many and of myself also. Here's what he was saying. He said, when I think about Phoebe, I, I think about her as being a servant. I think about her work ethic, her labor in the Lord and in the church. But what I think about her most is, and what affected me most personally, Paul maybe was saying, was that when I had a need, in fact, it wasn't just me. He said, of many, she was a secourer. Now, what does it mean to be a secourer? I love the, the English word there, but we also find that our original New Testament came in the Greek language. And I was talking today to Brother Pins just for a moment and obviously got to take Greek class at House Anderson so many years ago. I tell you what, I've used that every week of the world in sermon preparation. I love the language that God gave us the New Testament in. You know, the word there that we often say or talk about the Holy Spirit being the comforter, it comes from the Greek word paraclete, kind of has this same concept that we get the word secourer. It means to run to support, to relieve when in difficulty. Here's what Paul was saying. He says, when I was down... When I was discouraged, hey, sometimes preachers get discouraged. Did you know that? I know that Brother Wilkerson seems like he's the energizer bunny, right? And he just always goes and he's here and he's there and he never, hey, sometimes he gets down. He's human. Sometimes he might need a secourer. He might need someone to run to him when he's in some difficulty. Amen. Let's all take care of the preacher's family. Amen. Hey, you ladies need to be a secourer to Mrs. Linda Wilkerson. She carries a big burden. She's married to him. Amen. I'm just trying to say, look, and all of the people that we serve together with, and when you see someone that is hurting, you should run to them. That's what Phoebe did. She was a secourer, and the Bible didn't say she just did it once, and she didn't just do it for Paul. She, he said, you were a secourer of many. How many bus kids can you help? How many widows can you help? Uh, just just uh, uh, two weeks ago, Brother Wilkerson, we, we, the deacons, every year we do something special for the widows of our, of our church. And uh, I think we have 38 uh, widows right now that are uh, in our church. And we had beautiful fall baskets that were made and lined up all over the steps. And had deacons and their wives uh, take these uh, fall baskets. What were we doing? We were securing those who maybe were hurting those that were missing their spouse, those that were in difficulty. And can I just say, church ought to be where you come to find someone you can help. Find somebody that's hurting. How many times do Brother Hiles always end that radio broadcast with, be kind to everybody because everybody's having a tough day. Maybe that person sitting beside you or over across the aisle from you or maybe somewhere back in the side sections. Look at me, you just barely walked in here tonight. 
You just barely got here tonight. You are, you're down and you're discouraged. Can I say to you, yes, Jesus Christ is your major help, but maybe God's going to use somebody here to secure you tonight, to be a blessing to you, to pray with you, to disciple you, to go through the hard, difficult times and days with you. There was a virtue of support one for another. In fact, so much so, listen to me, and then we're going to get the last point and be done. Would you look at verse number four? Can I show you the extent that this church went to? And Paul is, is relating this. He said, this is what I feel and believe about the church in Rome. This wonderful group of people, they were willing to, watch verse four, who have for my life laid down their own necks. You ever heard someone say, boy, he stuck his neck out for me. That's kind of where we get that. They were willing to lay down their necks. They were willing to put their life on the line. And he says, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. He says, look, there's a lot of churches that are full of people that I'm talking about tonight that were secures and that were helpers and that were running to the aid and the difficult ones and the times when someone needed you. And he said, that's when you needed your church family the most. Don't raise your hand, but do you need your church family tonight? You do need your church family. Can I say that? There's gonna, and if you don't think you need it tonight, you're going to maybe need it tomorrow night or a week from now or a month from now. Aren't you glad you get to be a part of the house of God, the body of Christ? Aren't you glad you get to go to a church that cares about people? And Paul said, this is the kind of church that Rome was. We're going to end with this one. Number five, and the last point that I want to give to you, and I want to read the scriptures before I give you the point. Would you skip all the way to the end of the chapter? Verse number 25. Romans chapter 16 and verse 25. He says, now to him... He's kind of ending the passage here. He's wrapping the book up. Now to him that is of power to establish you. That might be our word, establish you. According to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith, to God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. You see, tonight, the first part of the sermon has really been very practical. It, it's been very personal. We've talked about people and names and, and what they did in this church and the relationships with the Apostle Paul. But listen to me but I believe that point number five is truly the most important point. Because if you're going to fall in love with your church, it's not just about what you get from them or that you feel like this real family tie and I feel really you know, warm and fuzzy when I come to church. That, that's not what it's all about. It's really all about Jesus, isn't it? Isn't it really all about what we just read, the scriptures and the all-wise holy God. So if you're taking notes, number five, if you want to fall in love with your church, number five, there must be victory empowered by spiritual elements. Victory empowered by spiritual elements. You listen to me. You can, you can be loved and feel loved, and you should when you come to church by the human leadership and the pastors and the assistant pastors, and obviously uh, we should be giving that to each other. But you listen to me, 
There's one thing and one thing only, or most importantly, that's going to continue to help you to see that the local church is something that you must have in your life, and that is the spiritual elements of church. Look at them in verse 25. He said, he said I want to get you established. Now, how do we do that? It's because of the gospel. You've got to be saved first. Amen? You've got to know Jesus as your Savior. How many of you know Christ as your Savior? Lift your hand, please. How many of you, God used this church right here to bring you to faith and salvation? Can I see your hand right here? I'm just trying to say, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is the most important thing. So when you feel loved at church, it's because of the love of the gospel, the love that Jesus had for you, that he died on an old rugged cross. Aren't you glad that he died for you? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. But notice next, it's the preaching of Jesus Christ. Did you see that? Hey, do you know how Brother Wilkerson can show you he loves you most? Oh, he can pat you on the back and he might text you. Uh, he might write you a note. He's good at all of that stuff, isn't he? I've gotten all of that stuff from Brother Wilkerson. But can I tell you how a preacher can show his people that they're loved most? I'll tell you how. The preaching of the Holy Word of God. It's that shepherd coming and breaking the bread of life and teaching and training and mentoring and being faithful to the Word of God. These are spiritual elements that will bring victory in the Christian's life. The revelation of the scriptures is mentioned. The commandments of God is mentioned. The obedience of faith is mentioned. Listen to me and we're done. Boy, what a church, the church in Rome, huh? As we get to the ending of chapter number 16, he's kind of wrapping up all of his thoughts. And he says, you know, I really love these people. I kind of feel like I'm missing my family when I'm not with them. I kind of feel like when we're not together, there's just something missing. Hey, 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 if you get out of church any time at all, you ought to miss it like everything. I don't preach, I don't understand how Christians just fall out of church and just don't come for weeks and weeks and months and years at a time. There's something special about church, amen? amen. I loved how the First Baptist Choir used to sing that great song, There's Something Special in the Air, It's Sunday. And Sunday is special, Wednesday night is special, and Sunday night is special, and every time we get together with the people of God. Let me ask you a question. Do you feel like this church is your family? I hope you do. Your spiritual family, that you're there for one another, that you're helping one another, that you're encouraging one another, that you're praying for one another, and that you're using these spiritual elements to pull it all together so that the body of Christ called the First Baptist Church in Hammond, Indiana, would be a lighthouse until the Lord Jesus Christ comes back again. Listen to me, there's a whole world out there that needs this church to be this kind of a church. And I hope that you will be.